G'day, g'day, everyone out there in live land. I'm your host, Stefan Angelini. Thanks for joining us for another, another ASX Stock Tips educational session. Today, we're talking about ETFs or exchange traded funds. Uh, what a conversation we have coming up. It's an exciting time when we are filming this. Uh, we've got the US election going on in the background. Uh, the markets are in turmoil. A lot of things are happening. IPOs are being pulled from the market. Um, yet, we're here to find out about ETFs. Um, we're going to talk to Jamie Hanna from Vernec. We're going to look at why people might use ETFs, uh, five golden rules into why people use ETFs or and um, where, how you should trade them. Um, but also, we're going to get three really interesting ideas and, and what Vernec have adapted to the market with. So if you don't know what ETFs are, you're going to find out. Um, if you're thinking of using them more in your portfolio, this will give you the insights you need. We're going to talk about US elections. We're going to talk about coronavirus impacts and, and how that's differed from previous, uh, not pandemics, but previous recessions that, we've happened, that have happened in the past. All right, here we are with our special guests, Jamie Hainer and Daniel McDonald. Welcome, guys. Thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Stefan. Uh, thanks to McDonald Legal and Angel Advisory for putting on today. Um, we're going to get some really good insights into ETFs and ETF trading. And, and Jamie, while we're listening up, you've got the the election running on another computer to see <laughs> how I the do. US election is shaping up and how markets are performing based on those results. I do, indeed. And uh, it's very early doors on the US election, but it looks like right now that uh, it's very close and uh, markets don't necessarily like close calls. Um, it will create some volatility in the market. So since the first few results have started leaking through, it's about 50-50 so far between Trump and Biden. The markets have uh, fallen this morning. So, yeah, certainly interesting. And volatility is something we don't know anything about this year. No, no things, have, things have been up and down so much. Um, so Daniel McDonald is the man who created the ASX Stock Tips Facebook group, and Jamie's one of, uh, one of the portfolio managers over at Vernec, one of the world's largest ETF providers. Now, we're going through this COVID-19 issue, markets are up and down, there's a lot of volatility around, but I'd love to get to know, Jamie, just from your experience, like you've got over 20 years trading um, trading experience, you've seen a lot, um, you've been around during the tech wreck, uh, you've been around during the GFC over in 2008, now obviously COVID-19. Can you explain where were you during those times and how has those past recessions differed to what we see today? Well, Look, it's been an interesting 20 years, I can tell you. So if we start back when I was first starting out in the share markets and the stock markets was in uh, the late 90s. And I saw firsthand the uh, technology bubble as it uh, came about and uh, the, the, the wreck afterwards, as you'd like to call it. So look, from my perspective, I was working in Australia as a, as a stockbroker, um, dealing with mum and dad investors, um, beginner investors in the markets and, and helping them buy shares. Now, back in the late 90s, there certainly weren't a lot of internet brokers around, so you couldn't actually go in and buy shares through the internet. And most people still had to get on the phone and, and ring up their stockbroker to place trades. And late 99, early 2000s, when the technology bubble really started, my phone was ringing nonstop. I wasn't even making outbound phone calls. People were ringing me up saying, I want to buy $5,000 of Powertel. Or I've been speaking to my mate down the pub and I hear that this uh, you know, mining company is looking to do something in the technology space. I, ne I need to buy some. I need to buy some. And so I was literally just buying these shares um, for these people. And, and to be honest with you, they were making money, right? Everything was by and large going up. And many of my clients at the time, um, you know, locked in some healthy profits 
And what they did do, however, is that they reinvested all their profits back into new shares. So they've made, uh, you know, double their money on this one share. So then they put in the exact amount of money into the new share. And come April 2000, when the, the tech burst, um, unfortunately, some people got caught with, with tax debts, which they couldn't pay. And that was something that I'd never really thought about when, you know, when these type of things happen, that if you're going to make all this money on the market, you actually need to understand you need to pay tax on that. And if you pump in all the money that you've just made back into new shares and those shares fall, then some people can't pay their tax debts and the ATO uh, will look into that. So that was the first thing I learned. Um, but the second thing is I work with a stockbroker who was 86 years old at the time and had been a stockbroker um, since World War II, since he came back from World War II. He would not have known what's going on. Why would people buy a company with well, not much revenues and absolutely no Side pack. <laughs> now, his name was Jim Woodward. He ended up working until he was in his 90s. But he was telling me through all the 70s with the resource booms and the 60s and things that, you know, obviously people just don't remember. He said, when the market loses track of fundamentals, when people are trying to come up with new ways to value these companies because the new fundamental reasons on earnings and, and you know, profit and that don't make any sense anymore and things are going up a lot, then that's the time you should be uh, looking to divest your investments and think about really what's happening in the market. And, and I think, you know, through the tech bubble, I, you know, you can ride your profits for a while, but when, when things lose track with uh, the fundamentals behind these companies, that it, it's a good time to assess what you're actually doing with these uh, investments. Fair enough, fair enough. Makes sense. Yeah. And then how about the how about the GFC? Well, the GFC, I was actually uh, working in New York when it all started. So I, I left the shores of Australia from stockbroking and decided to get into uh, institutional trading and on the big trading floors in London and New York. So you're at the uh, epicenter. You're at the epicenter when right, it all went down. Right in the epicenter. I can tell you that right now. Now, I, I want to be completely clear. I was not trading any of these CDOs or you know, uh, the CDIs and the things that, that blew the market up, um, those housing default swaps and things like that. I, I was doing shares. I was doing shares. So, yes, I was on the big trading floors, but I, I was trading shares. And I, the, the day before Bear Stearns went under, um, they're one of the world's biggest investment banks at the time, um, we were contacted by our risk and compliance team who said, we think Bear Stearns is going under and you need to recall all your deals you've done with Bear Stearns. Um, and that was billions, billions of dollars. And, and we were all working with you at that time? Bank at the time, who was asked to recall everything against Bear Stearns. Now, what that actually did is it created a run. Now, you hear about these runs where Bear Stearns might have been still operating just fine, but as soon as people lose confidence in the underlying company, then people are constantly asking them for all their money back which of course they're unable to do if everyone comes to them on the same day and asks for billions and billions of dollars back. So it, it, it puts the company into a position where they're unable to get out of. And one of the things from the GFC is that that's what happened to a lot of these banks. They were possibly operating okay. Yes, they might've had some, some bad deals on the back, but as soon as everyone decides that, yes, let's pull our money out, then they're unable to meet their debts, they're unable to operate. And that's what really kicks things off. It's a bit of a trigger. Now, during the GFC, everything fell. Everything fell fast and everything fell uh, across the board. But what, but what really happened after that is that different companies uh, and different stocks came back better than others. So it really highlighted, yes, you have to have a diverse portfolio. 
you can't just buy the one stock and hope for the best. You need diversification there and you need to understand how all these different parts of your portfolio move together because different things do different things at different times. Hence, that's when the ETFs really started to become big, big, well-diversified portfolios essentially that you're buying into or markets you're buying into. Now, Daniel, I know you, you don't have a heap of ETFs in your portfolios. Do you have any questions for Jamie? Oh, well, yeah, I don't. We, um, on a, a foundation I'm a part of, we've got one small cap ETF and I've it really came about just due to my suggestion that we grab in some penny stocks in there and the stockbroker suggested, no, 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 we'll go for a small cap ETF. How do you guys go about constructing these? I mean, what's what's the drivers to sort of pulling these together? So, I mean, we're always looking for opportunities where the market isn't, isn't uh, essentially offering that opportunity to you. So you just can't go and just buy something that would give you exposure to something. So we look at gaps in the market and decide, right, this is an opportunity. This gives investors a place where they can express a view and buy it in one single trade, um, access to something which they wouldn't otherwise be able to get. So we're looking at what's available in the market right now, what our competitors have, right? We don't want to be going head to head with people on, on the same products. And then we want to make sure that, you know, this is something that investors want themselves. So we take that into account and then we look at everything that's available. And then we say, right, right, what can we build which investors can use in their portfolios to enhance their returns, to give them exposures, and to give them ability to do things that they couldn't otherwise do. Yeah, um, and I, I, was, I was listening to a podcast the other day and um, people were talking about creating uh, Bitcoin, not Bitcoin, but cryptocurrency ETFs because people don't necessarily want access to one individual type of, of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. They'd rather get access to the entire market. Yes, if one of them takes off and you're a part of that, you might make 100 times, but if you're a part of the entire market, you believe, that that will become the form of currency. Then, well, at least you're going to make you're going to be a part of the run, um, and that the same the same applies to ETFs. And that this is why I love what Venek do because you do create some really really interesting things, and we'll go through them in a bit. Um, but how would you feel if we kicked off the presentation? You sort of start to educate people on well, what is an ETF and why people might actually use them in the portfolio, and expanding on what you said just then. No, absolutely. So. I know that uh, you, you've spoken to uh, another ETF provider in the market and they gave a bit of an overview of the ETF growth over the past so many years and, and really the fact that ETFs have grown massively globally across the world um, and, and now you know they make up a, a sizable portion of the US market. So to give like a really high level statistic, about 40% of all trades in the USA now are in ETFs, right? What? In Australia, really? yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It is, it is huge. It is huge. Um, in, in Australia, I mean, we're talking less than 10%. So it, it's nowhere near on the same scale as what it is in the US. However, ETFs are allowing people to really get access to things that they weren't otherwise able to. So let, I mean, I, I kick off, you know, the slide. Uh, and I get it. I'm, I'm, I'm now building, I'm now building, up. I'm getting requested from my clients to build solely ETF portfolios. And people just think that's just investing into indexes in the Australian index and international index. People don't realize that you can go quite specific in markets and that's obviously taken off in the US. Australia just doesn't get it yet. No, no they don't. I mean, Australia still has a tendency to, to stock pick 
uh, a lot of you know small resources and things like that. And I know this group is that, and there's absolute demand <laughs> for that. And and look, I'll be 100 honest with you. Um, ETFs aren't going to give you the small stock tipping, right? That's absolutely what they're not going to do. But what they are going to do is allow you to express different views that you wouldn't be able to in one single trade on the ASX. So, I mean, if we think about, you know, what you just said there is that, I mean, the fact is ETFs are really where we're going in the future. And in the US, they're probably a step or two above us in Australia. Um, and, and I would say that whole portfolios of ETFs will give you a completely diversified portfolio that you wouldn't be otherwise able to get. And you can still take 10, 20% of that money and, and trade it like you would an individual stock to try and make some money expressing views um, rather than taking stock specific risks. Yep. Mate, take it away. Floor's yours. Right. Okay. Well, I have to obviously admit the, the legal bit that this is uh, not uh, this is general advice. This is not uh, specific to your needs, and you need to speak to your financial planner uh, or stockbroker should you need anything specific. You know, I, I think that's the legal disclaimer that uh, everyone's bound by these days. So let's skip over. So um, Van Eck, I mean, we've been managing money since 1955. Obviously, I, I haven't been managing money since 1955, but our US entity launched its first funds back way back in 1955. Um, and they were just international active funds, um, nothing to do with ETFs. And, you know, they were a solid family run business um, and they still are and, and have been growing assets since then. So they didn't really launch ETFs until around 2007, 2006. Um, and since then, obviously, the ETF part of the business has, has really grown in comparison to the active stock picking part of the business. Um, and, and to be fair with you, uh, we in Australia only focus on the ETF part of the business. So we're trading ETFs. Now, VanEck as a whole, you know, we have operations in Europe, uh, USA and, and, and Asia. So we're, we're well, well, uh, well run, uh, top down organization. And it kind of helps to know that we're a global organization and not just kind of just running everything uh, locally. We have support um, across the globe. Now, this is really the big question. I kind of touched on it, but why use ETFs? And, and to be completely honest with you, I've said it you know, earlier, it gives you a way to access opportunities that you couldn't otherwise get, right? So if you are just going to pick a stock, right? Let's say you pick any small mining stock, that's well and good. You are taking exposure to that one particular stock. If it does well, you will make money and you can be extremely happy and happy with what you've done. However, if it loses money, then you've lost everything you put into that one stock. So you need to kind of think a little bit broader and say, right, a lot of things in the same sector might move the same. So if you buy a gold mining company, if you buy Newcrest, maybe some of the other gold mining companies when got when Newcrest goes up might move the same as that underlying you know Newcrest might move so do you just need to take Newcrest or can you just buy an ETF that buys gold miners for example and get exposure to all the gold miners without having any specific risk to that one particular company right now it might in some way uh, spread your profits across all those companies however it also minimizes any of your risk to the downside. So Newcrest might come out, they might have had, I'm gonna be, they might have had an explosion in a mine, right? You can't predict that, but the ETF will allow you to still have exposure to all the gold mining companies without having exposure to this one particular company. So you're still getting the movement you would get if gold price moves, right? So that, that's kind of like an example of what you can have. And one of the key things about ETFs is they're completely transparent, right? So every holding that we have in our ETF 
you can go onto the website and it's updated daily. So there's no kind of like delays or what's happening. You can see everything that we're doing live. And so through this one trade on an ETF, you can get exposure to whatever sector, whatever part of the world you want, um, whatever uh, idea you might have, um, and you can express it in one trade on ASX and you can buy it exactly like you would buy any share on the Australian Stock Exchange. So look, that's why you should use ETFs. Now, if you're happy, I'll, I'll, I'll move on and talk about how you can trade an ETF. And I think, mm. you know, that these are extremely important things to know when trading an ETF. And I, you know, I'm monitoring all the trading going on on a day-to-day -day basis. And if you don't follow these rules, um, then, you know, your execution won't be as optimal as it should be, right? So the Australian market opens over about 10 minutes in the morning. So the ASX opens at 10 o'clock uh, for only A to B, C. So it opens in alphabetical order. So at 10 o'clock, A and Z Bank will open, but Westpac won't open till about 10.09. So I don't know if people are aware of that. So the market takes around 10 minutes to open fully and in alphabetical order. So for an ETF that holds Australian shares, they can't price it. They can't say at 10.01, oh, right, ANZ's you know, up 1%, but oh, Westpac's not open at the moment. So they can't fully price it. So what happens in that first 15 minutes of the day, the prices between the bid and the ask on the screen are wider. So you should never trade in that first 15 minutes because the quotes on screen can't be tight enough because they don't have all the information, right? And it's really a key point. Now, also added to that, the Australian market has a closing auction. So the market trades between 10 and four, right? So for those people who know that, so four, at, at four o'clock, the market stops trading. However, that's not the end of the day. The end of the day is at 4.10. So at 4.10, there's an auction where you can put quotes into the market and you, can, you have all these bids and asks and they overlap. And there's an algorithm that runs at the ASX and it picks the mid price between the bids and the offers and it matches at that time. So anyone who trades a share on the market would know that if you trade after four, you go into the closing auction, right? And I'm telling you that for an ETF, you don't want to trade in the closing auction because you can't value that ETF in that one little snap that happens at 4.10. So if you're going to trade an ETF, you need to trade between 10.15 and 4 p.m., right? They're the key times for you to trade any Australian ETF. Now, if I click onto the next bit, let me just bring that up and I'll just skip to the next slide. Right, so this is extremely important. So if anyone who goes into the stock market, you will see this order book, right? This is what the ASX looks like. On the one side, you have all the bids, how many shares? So at the top, we have 3,000 to buy at 27.16, right? They're people trying to buy. And on the other side, we have 15,000 for sale at 27.19. Right, this is what you'll see on any share. So if you're trading through Comsec or anyone online, this is what you're seeing. So um, what we wanna look at is how you would buy. So even though on a share, if you were looking to buy, let's say you're looking to buy some shares, you have to pay 27.19 if you're buying shares. And if you're selling, well, the price is at 27.16, okay? And that's just literally how any, any share would work. However, the difference between a share and an ETF is that you shouldn't buy through that top ask, for example. At 2719, 
right? That's the price. If you want to buy more than 15,000, which is there, don't buy the price up to 27.20 or 27.26. You shouldn't be paying more than what that lowest price is because these funds have market makers in them and these people provide quotes on screen, right? And so because they're always quoting on screen, you shouldn't buy through. They put these extra prices in so that if they clean up one, then they'll pick up more. So you shouldn't ever pay more than that top price, right? And if you want to buy more, right, than what's shown on screen, let's say on this one, you can see that there's like 33,000 shares. I, I know that's a big order, but if you did want to buy 50,000 shares, th th it doesn't look like you can do that. It doesn't look like there's enough shares there to buy 50,000 shares. However, with an ETF, they're open-ended. So you can go in and you can actually buy as many as you want. So to do that, you put a limit order in, right? You don't put market orders in for an ETF because as I said, things are moving and the prices tick on screen and you can see there that you don't want to pay more than 27.90. So if you're looking to buy this, you put in a price at 27.19. If you want to buy 50,000 shares, that's a lot. But if you did, you put in a 27.19 and you don't pay more. You don't buy it up to 27.38, okay? That's one of the key things to understand when trading uh, ETFs, right? That is really, really good. Um, and for all you, for everyone out there, you'll notice that when you do go and place a trade for a share, that you can either put good to a close, good to a canter, a limit price, and that's what you're referring to. Just when you place that trade, look at your screen, look at it properly, and yeah, find that price. That's amazing tip, Jamie. Thanks. No, no, I think this is really important. Um, and 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 just to be and completely just, clear here. Trading an ETF is exactly like trading a share, right? But it's just, you just need to be aware of how you do it and what's best. So I just want to touch on one other rule. And this other rule is about buying international shares, international ETFs, right? You have to think time zones, okay? So in, in the USA, during our trading day, the USA, the US markets are never open during our trading day. Neither is Europe, right? At no time during our days till our does the ASX overlap with those two markets? However, our markets, you know, the ASX does overlap with stuff in Asia. So in actual fact, New Zealand opens at 8 a.m. our time, right? Japan opens at about 11 a.m. our time. Hong Kong opens at about 12.30 our time, the same with China, right? So the information coming out of those countries can affect our market, right? And they can affect ETFs. If you're trading an ETF that holds international shares, then you have to understand that, you know, you want to be buying them when some of the markets open. So if you want to buy China, right, a China ETF, you're better to wait for China to open, which is at 1230, than to trade it in the morning. Because at that time, all the information is not available to correctly value those um, China shares. So it's just something to think about if you're trading an ETF, you just need to think about what you're trading and, and you know, what time zone it is and, and how you can best affect the best trade you can on exchange. Trade in the afternoon. Trade in the afternoon. Yep. Cool, what else have you got? So they're, they're the, uh, the, the tips on trading. And there's one other thing to understand for an ETF, right? And, and I get questions on this all the time by uh, people who are, are trading ETFs on their Comsec account or through their broker or anything like that. So the fund is valued at 
the end of the day, right? We have this thing called a NAV, the net asset value. It's the unit price. It's what the fund is worth on any day. Now to understand that, it's taken the closing price from every market, right? So we, to value the fund, the US is closing in our morning at like seven o'clock in the morning. It has to wait for Europe to close at 2 a.m. It has to wait for the US to close at 7 a.m. So it's the same day. So if we take today, the US only closed in our morning. So the fund is not fully valued until after all the markets are closed around the world. But to understand that, that's what's called the NAV. So it takes all the closing prices. But the last price that you look at when you're looking on screen is the last time that ETF traded. Right? So unlike a share, a share is only its last price. That is what a share price is. An ETF is its NAV, its total valuation when all markets are closed. So if an ETF last traded at two o'clock in the afternoon, right, it didn't trade between three and four for whatever reason, then that's the last time it traded. And then if you look at the next time it trades the next day, it might show that, you know, it's moved 3%, but actually it probably didn't, right? It's just because between that time it traded, it's showing that movement, but it's not a share. An ETF is its net asset value and you can get that off the website every single day. That's what it's worth. That's using all the markets and that's what you should base any of your trading decisions or your performance on to look at how it's performing. Clever. I like that. So I didn't want to get too technical, but it's just, they're just the key things to understand so that you can actually maximize your use of ETFs. Yeah, love it, mate. Thanks a lot. Thanks for that info. What else have we got? Well, that's all I have in terms of tips, all right? Now, I'm just going to quickly uh, click on my screen to see how the US election is ticking because I love it. Uh, we, it's very, very topical at the moment. Uh, and it looks like Biden's slightly taking more electoral college votes at the moment. And the ASX 200 is flatlining. It's flatlining now. Okay. So we saw over the last couple of days, obviously, that uh, the US market had uh, gone up a fair bit. And that was indicating, to be honest with you, that there's going to be a definite election, a definite uh, election. Result, and it's not going to be close. That's what that information is telling us. Um, looked like was, the view the market had was that Trump was going to win it. Well, I was reading a lot of research this morning and, they were, and no one was categorically saying that. They were kind of saying, in, in what I was reading, they were saying there's going to definitely be a solid result, but it could be Trump, it could be Biden. I think it depends on if you want Biden to win or if you want Trump to win, that's where your view is. Um, the, the worst thing that can happen to the markets right now is if this is a close election. Mm. Uh, we just do not want a close election. We don't want it contested. Um, we need a definitive winner. Um, markets don't like uncertainty. Um, it creates a lot of volatility. It might be good if you're trying to trade shares, but you've got to be on the right side of that uh, movement. Um, so, so for all of us, I think, and the markets and, and, and growth and, and, you know, we want it, we want a definitive election result and, uh, it's looking relatively close at the moment. <laughs> yeah. It is still early doors. What um, we will be. You mentioned this, um, these ETFs being open-ended, um, yes. just for, just for us newbies to ETFs, what, what does that mean? Does that mean that I can buy an infinite amount of units? Yes, that's actually exactly what it means. Um, so 
the fund just grows. So as money comes in, so as you buy shares on the exchange, right, as, as you buy more and more of it, um, the money comes to us and we go and invest that money into the shares that are held within the ETF. So the fund can grow to billions and billions of dollars. It, it, there's, there's really not really an upside to it. Um, so the fund just grows as people buy it. And for every, every dollar that comes in, we go and invest it into the underlying shares um, that are held in, in the in the ETF. So at all stages, it's it's tracking this index which 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 we're monitoring, and uh, it's it can just continue to grow. I see. I was I was wondering about that. So obviously, there's no there's no it's it's just a linear linear growth in line with people jumping into it. The more um, you're utilizing those investment funds to purchase more uh, of the companies in in the fund. That's 100% what's happening. Um, and obviously that's part of my role as being a portfolio manager. So as new new fund, you know, new money comes into the ETF, I have to invest that. So, I mean, from my point of view, I have, you know, we have 25 funds that I'm managing or, you know, that my team is managing here in Australia. Uh, we have 25 funds and we have about 5 billion, you know, under management, $5 billion. And we have 1,500 shares in, a, in more than 50 countries. So, wow. you know, I am trading shares in more than 50 countries around the world um, regularly. And is, is, do you do any leveraging in, in these funds? Is there any leverage in any way? No, no. Wow. We, the, the funds that we launch here in Australia, that's Vanek, um, we do not have leverage or inverse funds. Um, we are straight long only. And that means when we have money come in, we invest it straight away into shares that track the index. There's no leverage. We are just long only. There is no risk in terms of uh, counterparty risk. We're not lending stock out. We're not uh, borrowing money to, to do any leverage in the fund. So we're getting your money, we're investing it, and it's held in custody um, by safekeeping by uh, the world's biggest um, custody keeper called State Street. So from that perspective, they're just we're just holding shares. Yeah, yeah, which sounds like a, a much safer option. It, it is a safer right. option. It, it takes away a lot of the risk that's involved in leveraging the fund, um, but at the same time, it still can produce excellent returns over the over the short, medium, and long term. So, don't feel that by not leveraging, you're not getting the return. You're still getting exposure uh, without some of the risk. Yes, of course. Um, and what are some of the things that you know the sort of newbie CTS should look out for when they're looking at which ETFs to invest into? Okay. Well, I've actually got some slides here. Funnily enough, Daniel. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, yeah. Great segue. Um, yeah. So these are some of my current tips, um, and I know it's a stock tipping group, but these are going to give you some ideas in terms of where I think it is, and they're they're high level ideas, right? And I'm, I'm giving it giving a way to do it. So let's think China, right? China at the moment is the second biggest economy in the world, and by all accounts, it could become the world's biggest economy in the world, and its economy is growing. Yes, it got hit by COVID. It's probably recovering slightly faster than some other countries around the world. Um, but its growth is continued to grow. Its growth is continued to, to carry on, right? Um, it's growing far faster than any developed country. And no one really has exposure to it, right? No one is really going and buying Chinese shares. And if we think about who can buy Chinese shares, well, apart from Chinese um, nationals um, living within China, really, it China's only open to the extremely wealthy. 
And Van Eck in Australia went about getting our Chinese license to trade Chinese shares um, within the local Shanghai and Shenzhen exchanges. And it was an arduous process. It took us uh, nearly two years, um, but we were probably the third uh, company in Australia to be given the access, called an RQFE, to trade in mainland China. So we uh, are buying Chinese shares. So we set up an ETF, um, which is called the China New Economy ETF, right? And, and that's really where we think all the benefits in China are coming from. And that is in four key areas. And that is in technology, right? This is in you know technology shares within China. It's within healthcare, which is a growing area globally. And it's in consumer discretionary consumer staples. And that is consumer staples are things like supermarkets, things you have to buy, right? And consumer discretionary is in things like that you'd like to buy, like the new fashions, the new technologies and things like that. And those four areas are where we're thinking that China is really booming. And we have got an ETF which invests in those four areas. Now, I can tell you, we didn't set it up this way, but those four areas have been the key areas in COVID as well, right? In terms of areas that have done well during the COVID you know, downturn of the economy, the four that have stood out are technology, healthcare, consumer discretion, and consumer staples. So that was just a byproduct of where we thought the new economy was going to be. But look, China is something that people should think about in their portfolios because they are such a behemoth and there's no way, unless you're Chinese, that you're going to know what these Chinese companies are, right? So the ETF, which we have, has 120 constituents in it, split across those four sectors, okay? And it's something that, you know, there's no other way you can access this and it's something that, you know, has done unbelievably well this year and has been doing extremely well over the last couple of years. I mean, the one-year growth on this ETF has been 45%, right? That's extraordinary. Which is extraordinary, right? Um, you know, partly due to the four sectors that we had, which are obviously ideal for COVID, but obviously they've recovered faster than us. You know, I'm not saying they're not having second waves, but it's certainly something to think about. That China should be something in your portfolio. And, you know, I'm not saying put all, your, all of your portfolio into China, but it's something that you should absolutely consider. Now, if some people think about what Chinese, what companies these might be, you think of Alibaba, which is becoming one of the world's largest retailers, um, mm -hmm. Tencent, which hold companies like WeChat. Yep. So um, those two, I mean, those companies um, aren't in it. They're not in it, right? They're not. So okay. These, these are companies, because wow. you can buy Tencent and Alibaba, right? Mm. You, can, you can actually go into... Uh, you know, a foreign stock market and buy them through certain online trading platforms, right? Yep. You can buy them um, because there's ways to do it. A lot of the companies in this, you cannot buy, wow. right? Yep. You cannot buy them because they're in China and to trade in China, you're not licensed to, you don't have accounts to it. You don't have Chinese renminbi, so you don't even have the currency um, and there's currency restrictions. So there's no way you can access these companies. Uh, most, well, most of them you can't access. Right. So, yep, go on. That 45% is extraordinary growth. I mean, 12 months ago, COVID really established itself in China. I assumed that the market over there bombed out at that point. Is that is that 45% growth as a result of the market diving at the emergence of COVID in China? Or is that just what sort of had you this, this particular um, 
uh, ETF has been performing year on year? The growth since we launched it, and it, it's only been uh, a number, couple of years, the growth has been that strong. Now, it is volatile. China is volatile, right? Um, they have a huge proportion of their population that are trading shares, right? The Chinese do like to stock tip their stock market, right? The vast majority of their people are their local people who are buying and selling shares in China um, because it's so restrictive for big institutions globally to buy shares that they just can't do it, right? So Imagine, um, imagine lending numbers for Chinese investors was through the roof. Was it 2017? Well, oh, just big numbers of yeah. margin loans, basically take people taking out loans to buy more shares for the Chinese population as soon as it got opened up. Yeah. So, I mean, Chinese people are really keen on investment, right? And 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 they're happy. They, you know, if there was a stock tipping uh, group for uh, China, <laughs> I, I, there would be a couple hundred million people in it, I'd imagine. Yeah. Right? So, look, yeah, WeChat groups, no, no, no. Yeah, but if you start that China up, China as an economy, I mean, they're now their their response to COVID. You know, people have questions about it, but they're now operating their manufacturing numbers are basically at pre-COVID levels again, or beating that. Therefore, their economy is coming back strong. Yeah, really strong. A hundred percent. And there's something to think about, right? We think about the ASX in Australia, right? And a lot of you stock tip in it. I invest in it. You know, Australians who do anything will buy stuff in the ASX. Australia only has 25 million people, right? Mm. With all these companies, right? That are valued at billions of dollars. Imagine if you had a billion people with all these local companies that are operating, right? You wouldn't have heard of most of these companies because you're not Chinese, yet these companies are behemoths, right? They're, they're, they're banking institutions that are, you know, taking sums of money from hundreds of millions of people, right? This is a massive part of the market that people, you know, just, it's hard to fathom when you know we're running a stock market that turns over five billion dollars a day, and uh, you know with twenty-five million people, if you've got a billion people, it's, it's turning over huge sums of money, and you know you should have a piece of it. Yeah, no, I get you. It's it's so interesting, and uh, to be able to gain access to a market like that, I didn't realize it was so restrictive. Um, but Jamie, just in with time in mind, what else have you got? Obviously, healthcare was one of the big sectors in China. Yep. So let me just touch, look, at the moment, and I will be quick, healthcare at the moment is certainly something you should be looking to invest in, right? And I absolutely believe it. And it's a few factors which do it. There's a massive aging demographic across the world. So the global population is getting older. And as they get older, they need more healthcare, right? There's a prevalence of chronic disease across the world where people are seeking healthcare for it, which they otherwise might not have done. And thirdly, like this is really important, the emerging markets around the world are, are bringing on more middle class people. And as people move out of, you know, their lower classes and come into middle class, they'll then suddenly need healthcare, right? And if you think about Australia, you think about how much you pay for healthcare, right? The cost of it in Australia. Well, all this money and all these new countries around the world that need healthcare um, are going to obviously increase the healthcare sector globally, right? And so as money's increased, and as you know, the percentage of GDP in healthcare is 10%, it, things are just going to increase in healthcare. And I'm not even talking about the COVID environment right now, I'm talking just in general, right? So healthcare as a whole is something you should absolutely consider for a long-term investment. So, I mean, we obviously have a healthcare ETF, I won't spend too much time onto it, but I'm letting you know that if you're only buying ASX stocks, you've got CSL, you think about how well that's done, ResMed, how well that's done, right? Australia has some absolute success stories in the healthcare space. 
and they've been consistent, good growth stories, right? But you're missing out on the global companies, which are doing the similar thing on a global scale. So this is just a way to access healthcare globally in one easy trade. I think you agree. Yep. This, and yeah. Yep. I want to give another tip. This is the new one that you're not thinking about. Gaming. Video gaming, I'm talking. I'm not talking betting. I'm talking video gaming and esports. Right? Online gaming. This is a new thing where people are packing out Etihad Stadium. This to is exactly what I'm video game. About. Yep. 100%. I'm going to give you a stat right now, which is kind of mind blowing. It's not on this screen. The movie industry uh, generates about. $40 billion per year, right, globally. Yeah. The music industry generates about $20 billion globally. The, the video gaming industry is over $100 billion globally, right, as per year. That was on 2019 numbers, right? You've got growth so, rates there. No, that's just how much revenue is generated out of it. Yeah. Right? So there are more gamers in the world than Netflix and Apple devices, right? This and Netflix subscriptions, right? This is a huge, huge area, which we just kind of don't, we kind of just take for granted. Um, so look, as I said, the movie, and it's big in the movie and the music industry, um, and it's the world's fastest growing area. You think about what you hear on the news, you hear about these young guys who just won some Fortnite contest, won millions of dollars. Well, that is what's happening. That is exactly where things are going. Uh, David Beckham setting up esports teams, right? there's new esports teams happening. But that's just the esports side of thing. It's actually just the, the actual video game market, which is just on fire and has been for years, right? Now, I caught up with my niece recently and I said, oh, because I hadn't seen her because of COVID. She's 10 years old. I said, how are things going during COVID? What, you know, what, what were you doing? She said, I was chatting with my friends. I'm like, oh, how were you chatting? She said, well, I meet up on an online game and my friends meet in certain rooms and we play games online and we talk to each other. So they're not just chatting on Facebook or anything like that. They're going into games and they're talking, communicating through games and playing against each other. Wow. And that type of thing is what's going on in the current generation of younger people, as well as older people who are used everything from the Atari right on, games are big business, right? So we launched an esports and gaming fund, right? ESPO is the code on the ASX. Um, and literally, it's giving you targeted exposure to literally video game makers, right? And that includes ones that do esports as well as producing video games. And from that, that is video game makers for consoles, for like your PlayStations, Xboxes, ones that make it for iPhones, right? For your, your gaming apps as well. So it covers that whole market. And, and look, it's done really well since we launched it. Um, and I think it's something to think about. This is not what you should put 100% of your portfolio in, but it's something different. It's something you might not have thought much on, and it gives you a way to do it. Um, and this includes, uh, it's a global it's a global esports and gaming, so it includes all the ones uh, from around the world. It is, it, is, it is brand new, so it's less than two months old. Is that right? In, on this on the yeah. ASX. Now, yeah. in terms of, so you've got 25, when you say 25 stocks, is that 25 stocks that you've chosen, or because this is an ETF, is the largest 25 esports and e-gaming stocks it, it is it is essentially yes. the largest okay. in the world so it, you think of things like activision ea sports things that you might have heard of when if you played games uh then it's it's those ones uh that you would have heard of or seen online 
uh, it's those major companies. They have to generate 50% of their revenue from gaming activities. And that, that's probably, that's a really interesting um, thing. It's it's so expensive to get into this into this environment because it costs so much money to produce these games. Yeah. Um, and to run these to run these games and consoles. And then, of course, to break in and beat some of the competitors. One of the Australian companies that people talk about, Aristocrat Leisure. Yeah, but Aristocrat Leisure does poker machines, right? So Mainly they, poker they machines, yeah. Tennis. They're not really in the, the video gaming market. Um, so this is purely video gaming and mm. not poker machines. So I should be completely specific. This is purely... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, fun, fun gaming, and and look, the way gaming has changed. Back in the day, you used to go and buy, you know, a console and you, or a computer, and you have to put your disc in. And so the video game makers were just making money just by selling a game to you, and that was it, one off. Now, with online games, it's all subscription services. So they might give you the game for free, but you pay five dollars for an upgraded gun, or you know, ten dollars for some extra bricks or some extra lives, and and so it's it's a subscription service now. So the money Robux. is kind of rolling in. It's, it's genius <laughs> in a yeah, way. You talk to people out there who might have 16-year-old kids, boys, who are sitting on their PlayStation, watch yeah. your credit card and make sure you're assessing how much yeah. money is coming out of that for these That's games. My, my son washes cars, cleans houses, all for these bucks for Fortnite and Roblox and everything else. It's been a fantastic introduction to our house in terms of getting him off his butt. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Benefits everywhere. Now that's a that's a really really different play. And, and what what interests me so as an exchange for those of you who don't completely understand what an exchange traded fund is, a lot of the times it's it's buying the biggest markets in these indexes and rising with them as they rise. But what Jamie spoke about before, when it comes to well making investing when funds come in and investing them open endedly, is is it right, Jamie, that as funds get bigger? And basically approach this top twenty-five number. They, this new company, will come into your index, and one right. company will drop out. Uh, it depends on the rules of each uh, individual fund, but yes, at the moment, uh, one will come in, one could drop out if it's small enough. Um, however, I mean, these as the environment grows, for example, things can get bigger and better. So, um, if more, if there's more big uh, companies out there doing gaming, then they'll come into the index. I mean, this is a great way for people to get a piece of that action who perhaps don't trade in any foreign markets as well. Absolutely. And, and that's really the number one thing of ETFs. It gives you something access to you wouldn't otherwise be able to do yourself. ETFs are a great way to get involved into macroeconomic thematics or macroeconomic trends that you believe are up and coming and something you don't know enough about in the space. And that's where diversification comes through. You can invest into managed funds who specialise, but typically they go quite diversified. But if you believe there is a trend coming up, and that's what Vanek has been able to create, um, then obviously, you know, the e-gaming one something very interesting to look at. Um, one thing that's always been interesting for me, Jamie, and this might be what we chat about next, is in Australia, buying a general index, um, you buy equal weights of the index. Um, you've created something. You, you, when you buy the Australian index, you buy depending on how large the company is. And you Correct. buy that percentage portion. Vanek takes a different approach to buying the Australian index. Could you explain that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously we pre-prepared, um, but <coughs> it's particularly <laughs> important. Oh, look at this slide I prepared earlier. <laughs> um, look, it, it is particularly something to know and it's very particular to the Australian market. So we all read about on the news, the ASX, S&P, ASX 200 is up 2%, down 2%, um, right? And, and what exactly is that? Well, the ASX 200, is weighted based on the size of the company. So the bigger the company, the bigger the weight in it. 
So the top five shares in ASX 200 make up nearly 29% of the index. And then the top 10 make up 42.84%, right? So when you're buying anything to do or looking at the ASX 200, you're really only buying the top 20 shares. They're making up a massive percentage of the ASX 200. So the other 180 shares are really just an irrelevant little piece to the ASX 200. They're not having any major impact. And what it does is it overweights things like banks because the big four banks and they're making up a big percentage of the ASX 200, making up probably 20%, right? So Jamie, just to get this right, if I'm putting $1,000 into the ASX 200, yep. basically $428 of that is going to 10 stocks, Correct. 10 companies. Yes. And then 100%. the rest of that $58 is getting a portion between the other however many 190 stocks. That is exactly right, yes. Okay, yep, yep. And, and, and so what that does is it kind of overweights you into these couple of securities. And, and looking at that as a whole, it doesn't represent Australia and what the market's actually doing. So we went away and we thought, right, this is the ASX 200, but what's a better indicator of the Australian market? So we looked at what's called equally weighting. So we looked at how big the Australian market is, right, by size. And we said, right, every company in this makes up 100%. And we said, we want to take 85% of the whole entire Australian market, right? So if we take it, how much is 85% of the Australian market? And it's about 90 shares. The top 90 shares make up about 85% of the Australian market by size. And we said, right, let's take these 90 companies and we'll equally weight them all. So TPG Telecommunications has the exact same weight as ANZ, right? Mm -hmm. And... Uh, you know, one of the smaller companies, right, at the, at the tail end of this has the same weight as one of the bigger. And so by equally weighting it, you get a fairer picture of the Australian market without this massive overweight to these huge, big Australian companies. And what that's actually done over time since we launched it, it has by and large outperformed the, uh, the ASX 200 pretty much year on year it's outperformed it by you know a, a good percentage. And part of the reason it's done that, and you can analyze all these different reasons, it's because by equally weighting it, you expose more to a lot of the, the mid cap companies that are growing, right? So if you're getting all these just big banks and things like that, then you're missing out on the growth stories, you know? So you're not getting the companies that are really doing well, that are building their business, that are, that are the new thing that's gonna come onto the block. So you're really missing the access to them by just getting the ASX 200 because they probably make up one of those small companies 0.01 of a percent. Um, whereas in ours, it's the same weight as a bank, right? So it's a different way to think about the Australian market and MVW um, has been a success story since we launched it. I mean, it, it, make, it makes sense, right? As those up-and-comers come through, you get equal weighting towards the other ones. And that means it's just so it's apportioned out between the 90-odd investments. Now, important just to touch on for everyone out there, look, this is no recommendations to go into these investments. This is pure, purely educational perspective around what is out there. Um, and I've been seeing a lot of interest coming into this because that story of 42% of the top 10, top 10 companies make up 42% of the index, massive. Um, and even you look over into the US now, the top five companies, 10 companies in the US are starting to take up huge portions. So I guess for all the investors out there, it is quite important to 
to note that if you're investing into the ASX 200 ETFs, but you also own the big banks and the big miners individually, a large portion of your portfolio is going to be overweight towards those big names. Sound right? Yes, 100%. 100% true. Um, Matt, I, I, think, I think it's great. Have you got any other stories for us or any other slides you want to touch on? Um, I'm, I'm obviously you know, on time. Uh, how are we going? I, I can talk one more, but if not, I'm happy to take questions or anything like that that you'd like. We've got time for one more. Yeah. Have you got one more to slide, or do you want to just chat chat about one, Jamie? Um, well, let, let's talk about. Uh, I do have one more, but uh, uh, you know, it's really just quality investing, right? Okay. So most Australians don't have access to global shares. They go in, they buy Australian equities, you know. And I know you're stock tipping and you're, you're trading Australian shares, and that that's fine. But if you think about your portfolio and you know your superannuation fund and things like this, you want to think global. Australia makes up one or two percent of the market in the world, and you want access to all the, the the main companies around the world. So you know you want to invest in the right companies around the world, though. So you need companies that have strong fundamentals. You know, low financial leverage. They have uh, you know good solid uh, growth record, um, and then they have stable like balance sheets and they, they essentially are good quality companies, right? So, you know, if you're looking as an investor to, to get involved in the international markets, then you need to know all these companies. You're going to go and buy Apple, you're going to go and buy Google, you're going to go and buy, you know, Louis Vuitton, like this, there's, there's so many companies out there in the world. So what we've done is we created an ETF that invests in the top quality companies around the world. And it invests in 22 different countries around the world, like all the developed markets. And it es essentially just uh, uh, weights them based on how good quality they are um, to get into it. So Apple's in it, you know, Google's in it, um, Microsoft's in it. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, companies that you might have heard of, like Visa, there's MasterCard, there's, there's Under Armour. There's, think there's big companies that you would otherwise have heard of, they're brand names that you probably don't have in your portfolio. And this is just a way to get access to international shares in one in one trade. Um, and and look, I mean, the performance has been really good over the years. And look, all I'm really saying is think about international shares. And if you're going to think about how you invest in international shares, obviously creates a portfolio. Um, just allocating all your funds into one asset class is sometimes people might deem it as being a bit risky. Um, and look, we help people set up investment portfolios all the time. And the amount of the amount of returns you, you've been seeing from international portfolios over the last few years is is much better than Australia. For instance, if you were going to invest into you at top five hundred companies in the US from the for the ten year period between two thousand and nine and two thousand and nineteen, you would have seen on average a return of uh, about sixteen seventeen percent per year. Um, whereas in Australia, that was closer to seven point eight percent. So it just goes to show that, look, we are an ASX stock tips group, um, but getting that international allocation to a portfolio can be quite important. Daniel, you got any finishing questions for Jamie? Anything that's on your mind? No, no, not at all. I mean, that was a quite a comprehensive presentation, Jamie. Thank you so much for being part of our education series. I think I'm going to take a position on seeing you pretty much straight after this call. <laughs> um, but no, that was quite enlightening. I mean, forty-five percent is is pretty extraordinary, and um, and I, I I didn't really have have a great deal of insight into what they are about. But you've certainly educated me, so thank you so much, and I'm sure you've educated our members too. Look, no problems at all. Thanks for having me, and 
obviously, if you have any follow-up questions like that, I'm happy to answer anything that uh, might come your way. Hi, mate. Thanks so much. Uh, Daniel, before we sign off, just a quick introduction to McDonald Legal. Yes, thanks, Devin. So, everyone, I'm the um, principal of McDonald Legal. We're a commercial and property law firm. We have been assisting some members with self-managed super funds a few months back. Um, just let everyone know that we're still doing that. So if you are looking at getting your self-managed super fund set up, um, please come uh, to me. You can message me or uh, reach out to me through Facebook. Um, we're doing that for a very special limited price just for ASX Stock Tick Group members only. So look forward to hearing from you. Beautiful, mate. And I'm Stefan Angelini. I run Angel Advisor. We help people set up those well-rounded investment portfolios. So when you get frustrated with your trading, people end up turning to me. Um, we invest through companies like uh, Venek and everyone else that a lot of the people that you would have seen on this show when we try to create our portfolios. Um, so on that, Jamie, I want to say, mate, truly, truly knowledgeable. Thank you so much for sharing all those insights. Hopefully everyone out there knows now what exchange traded funds are um, and they get a bit more insight into just how sexy the space can be. <laughs> Thanks very much, Stefan. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Daniel. All right, guys. Thank you, everyone, for your time. Uh, take care. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Investor Types podcast. What I want to remind you is that everything you heard in this podcast is general advice only. Please don't consider it as personal advice. If you do want to consider it as being personal advice, please go and speak to your licensed financial planner. Everything here is just informational purposes only. Take it as you will. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks again for tuning in. See you soon.